I just basically went on Amazon and got every single book I could find about subscription models, you know? So looked at how, how does Netflix work? How does, you know, how does any of that work? Like, how is it that you can provide a service for what seems like a ridiculously low price? You know, what is it, what makes that work? And, you know, it really comes down to, okay, it's value over time. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time in eight years. Get your pass now at cleocloudconference.com. Today's guest is John Tobin, partner at Council for Creators, LLP, a next generation law firm focused on the needs of creative businesses and individuals, and the first law firm to develop subscription services tailored to the needs of creative people. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. Glad to be here. So John, starting off, your firm largely works with creatives uh, and obviously creative professionals have been severely affected as, as many other professionals have been by the pandemic. Tell us about how the world's changed for your law firm and your clients, clients amidst COVID-19. Yeah, so we've seen a lot of changes. Um, there's the obvious changes, people losing their job, um, companies going out of business, and it really varies from, I'd say, from sector to sector. So things like restaurants, obviously more affected than others, but we live here in Los Angeles, uh, film production, uh, live events, really ground to a halt. So a lot of people who are in those industries um, have really been on hiatus for a long time. So we've seen a lot of people where their income has really gone to zero, you know, and so luckily there's been, you know, support in the way of, um, you know, unemployment assistance and loans and grants for small businesses. So that's helped some people. Um, but I think a lot of people are sort of looking at how they're going to manage this long term, you know, so that's one sort of change. And another one is actually, um, I'd say a little bit on the positive side in that a lot of people are now seeing this as an opportunity to finally take that step to build a business. That's something that's actually surprised me. And is that just out of need, John? Do you think that's, that's being born out of necessity or, or is this being viewed as an opportunity with maybe the space and the time to, to pivot what they were doing? People are, are taking a more entrepreneurial tact. Yeah, I've been wondering about that. And I think it's a combination of both things, right? So I think there are some people who have been put in this position where their job is going away or has gone part time or their main source of income has dried up. And so they're naturally moving towards creating a new business. And other people, I think they are working from home and find they have extra time. They're not commuting or, you know, other sort of out of the excuse me, out of the home commitments are smaller, so now they have extra time. So um, there are people who do still have day jobs, who do still have employment, but on the side are like, well, I have a few hours every day. Let me see what I can do. Let me see if I can make a new product or a new service or something that they can get out to people. And, you know, they're, you know again, it, it sort of varies. You know, you have people who are, um, again, necessity and others who are just seeing the opportunity and taking it. So John, tell us a bit more about your career path. You, you've had an interesting career path working first as a designer and a, a software developer before eventually becoming a, a lawyer. Tell us about that path and maybe how it's informed how you've designed your legal services. 
Yeah, cool. So yeah, it's interesting. I didn't start out as a lawyer. You know, that wasn't my first career. This is actually my second career. Um, I started out, you know, when I was younger, I, I was really into computers, programming, um, taught myself a lot of this. Um, and, you know, when, when I guess Web 1.0 came out, I was sort of right there in the thick of things. I worked for a lot of startups, um, some larger companies, you know, established companies, a lot of record labels here in Los Angeles. So I really got into design, web development, graphic design, programming, um, the whole, you know, the whole sort of range of things that you could do. Um, at one point, I was working for a, you know, larger company that was being acquired, and I started getting interested in the, um, I guess, sort of business end of things. And so my sort of path became, well, do I go sort of MBA route or do I go law school route? I chose law school. I just found that interesting, found it fascinating. Um, went to UCLA Law, learned more about intellectual property, uh, business law, corporate law, sort of how companies are structured, because that's what I became interested in. I'd worked for um, companies pretty much all of my working life, and I wanted to know, okay, what's going on underneath? How, you know, how are... Um, how does ownership work? How, what does it mean when a company is acquired? You know, how does intellectual property work? All these things I'd heard about, but didn't really know I wanted to get more into. And so I'm, I've been able to sort of blend those two things together now. And tell us about the evolution of subscription services at Council for Creators LLP. And, and this is uh, an area I'm really passionate about. I think there's yeah. so much opportunity for subscription services to be deployed much more pervasively than they, they are in the legal industry today. Tell, tell us about that journey to realizing that subscription services are uh, maybe the right business model for, for your law firm and tell us what kind of iterations you've gone in, in terms of deploying those in your law firm and what kind of uptake and adoption you've seen among your clients. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, naturally, you know, a few years back, I don't know how many people were doing subscriptions. I know some people were. There are a few people who have been doing subscriptions for quite a while. Um, but initially for us, it sort of came from a problem that we saw our clients having. And I think this is really the core of what makes a subscription work, which is um, we'd see people having legal problems that if they'd only come to us six months earlier, right, if they had talked to us about that contract or trademark or whatever it was, six months prior, whatever legal issue they're facing now wouldn't have been such a huge problem. They would have been able to take proactive action to prevent right. this, this sort of you know, future problem. So we kind of looked at the problem. And I think one of the things was is when lawyers bill hourly or even flat fee, it's this barrier. Like somebody just wants to call an attorney. They just want to you know, get on the phone for 15 minutes and sometimes that's all it takes to avoid really large headaches, right? And so they didn't want to pay thousands of dollars in retainer. They didn't want to pay a flat fee. So we created this model. We're like, well, let's see if we can make it cheap as a way for people to just get their questions answered quickly. And it actually started where I think what I did was um, created a calendar, like an acuity calendar, where people could sign up for sessions, right? So they could sign up, you know, pay a hundred bucks and get like a half hour session with us. Um, but then it, that sort of evolved into a subscription. We realized a lot of people had ongoing needs. So it wasn't just once that they needed us, but more than once, especially as they're growing a business, a lot of questions came up or even questions they didn't know they had. So we decided, okay, well, let's make this a recurring model and see if people like that. You know, and at the time we had no idea whether or not that would work. We had no idea whether people would be into that, if that actually solved the problem. So from there, it sort of iterated to what it is today. And, and what have you seen in, in terms of that iteration? Have you seen most of the people that were booking ad hoc on, on acuity tr 
transfer into a subscription model service? And what's your ongoing engagement model once they get into that, that subscription model with you? Yeah. So some people, you know, some people actually, you know, prefer the old way. So there's a few people who okay. you know, are like, Hey, you know, I, I'd rather just pay you guys hourly for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's just familiar. And it's usually people who have dealt with lawyers before. So they, you know, they kind of already know, you know, I've been, I've had a company, so I get that I'll pay $400 an hour and I'm fine with that. Right. So not everybody necessarily wants or needs a subscription, but for those who do, um, you know, I think the uptake, uptake has been pretty steady. Oh, you know, over overall. And so really what we try to do, you know, is find people who we can serve on an ongoing basis that works best for everybody. So people who are looking to build a company, looking to sort of have that ongoing relationship. And that's what we focus on, like with our engagement. It's really about how can we provide some ongoing value to people and not just sort of a transactional thing where it's like we did your trademark and we're done, but how can we support you? How can we support your business? And especially now, like we've been really trying to take that deeper you know, as people are sort of making these changes, or as we were talking about earlier, starting new businesses and maybe don't necessarily know um, what things to think about, like, you know, even something like marketing, they might not even know, hey, you know, what do I, you know, how do I, how do I do this? What do I do? And so we've worked with so many businesses, it's really nice that we can sort of share what we've seen working for others with people who are just starting out. So can you tell us just from a nuts and bolts perspective, how your subscription offering works, John? When, yeah. How's it work from a uh, a sizing perspective, um, what, what are your clients signing up for? What do they get as part of that subscription service? Yeah, so just you know, on the most basic level, uh, what it is, it's a $95 uh, subscription service. And we chose that price because we wanted to make it accessible. And there's obviously a lot of different price points you can do in subscription, but we just happened to choose $95 because we felt like that's something for any business owner, even if they're brand new, um, it should be relatively accessible. And what they get is attorney phone calls, and document reviews. So that's really the start. That's how we started that. That was the main thing that was offered. So just if you need to call us, don't worry about it. Just pick a time on my schedule. I'll see that you have scheduled and I'll give you a call. It's really that easy. Same thing with document review. You submit it through a form. Uh, we'll take a look. We'll give you our notes. And if you need to discuss it, we can discuss it. So it's just really for those smaller things. And now it's sort of evolved. We have a member network where uh, we post content or we have videos about different legal issues. So it's really expanded to, you know, to sort of help people understand the legal issues. We realize there's a lot of need for education. So business owners might not necessarily know, um, you know, what, what are trademarks for? How do board of directors work? So we, we're trying to help people support. We're trying to support people by teaching them what all of this stuff means in a way that's easy, you know, that's very clear. So do you find there's a lot of education to, to be done with prospective clients around why subscription services might make sense? I, you commented earlier about, you know, being able to shift to a bit more of a proactive versus reactive model and all the opportunities that opens up both to get ahead of your legal needs, but also to ultimately maybe spend less as, as, as well, if you're yeah. not chasing after problems as opposed to designing around them. Can you tell me a bit about just maybe the, the different frame that you need to get clients into as they think about engaging in subscription services versus the, the more traditionally traditional hourly model? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things we always sort of talk about is just being proactive about legal issues. So we want to get people into that frame of mind that lawyers aren't people you go to when a problem comes up. I mean, obviously you can do that, but really the best way to use lawyers and the cheaper way to use lawyers 
is to talk to us before something bad happens. Um, you know, and I explain to clients, especially people who are new in business, that every business has, has lawyers. You know, every business has a legal team. So any business that you know that's of a certain size is going to have a lawyer. And the reason why is because what businesses are doing are trying to avoid problems. We're trying to avoid lawsuits, trying to avoid disputes with our customers, trying to avoid disputes with partners, right? So if we can do that, then that's going to be a great value, right? So if we can, you know, in, you know, the space of a month, prevent a few different problems from arising six months later, that's great, you know? And, and so, you know, sometimes it involves proving a counterfactual, like, you know, hey, you know, we prevent this from happening. But I think people really get what it is we're doing. And, you know, for a lot of people that education does come, people have an image of a lawyer as, you know, somebody who goes to court, right? So something's gone wrong, we're going to sue somebody, we're going to send a threatening letter, that's when I need a lawyer. And so I kind of try to take them back. Well, let's not get to that point. Let's not get to the point where we're going to court or sending letters to people. Let's try to avoid that. Right. It's kind of like going to the doctor when you've got yeah. a four inch tumor growing out of your Yeah, neck. that's yeah, that's that's the that's the analogy I always use with people. I always talk about, you know, you, you go to your doctor regularly if you can, you know, if it's available, you go to your doctor regularly. If you feel something weird, go to your doctor early. Don't wait, don't wait to go to the operating room if 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 you can, you know, so right. if it's available. That's so, you know, and I explain to, to people like litigation, going to court, that's like going in for a major procedure. And Tell us about internally, we've talked a bit about the, the, the client perspective on subscription services. From a law firm perspective, what are some of the pros and cons that you've experienced in implementing subscription services? Tell us what, what some of your learnings have been over the course of, of implementing subscription services in your law firm. Yeah, so I mean, the first, you know, I think the first thing we've had to do is really change the way that we approach things. So again, moving from that transactional mindset that a lawyer might have, where I'm going to do a project for a client and then be done, to how can we support this relationship long term, right? And so that, um, you know, again, that involves regular contact with people. We have to reach out proactively to get them to, you know, to make sure that we're staying in touch so that they're using our services and we're sort of learning what they're doing. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of becomes it actually, you know, becomes bigger and bigger, the more this grows is retention, you know, I mean, you, you run a subscription business as well. And you know, you need to make sure people are happy that people are continually happy to pay you, right? And if, and yeah. if you're and if they're not happy, they'll stop paying and they should, you know, they should stop paying if they're not getting value. And so our challenge is even less, you know, it's not so much, you know, how can we get more people, but how can how can we make the people that we have happy, right? Because it's much, you know, from a business perspective, cheaper to keep a client than it is to ha have to find a new one. So that's, you know, that's, that's sort of how we've had to change our thinking about our business. Um, I think the disadvantage, you know, the disadvantages or the difficulties come early on, right? Because there is a little bit of investment. Um, there's investment in technology. So you have to have a good system set up. Um, you know, obviously if you have a subscription with a couple of people, no big deal, you can use a spreadsheet and, you know, you can just build them whenever you want. But, you know, as you get to dozens or even into triple digits, um, you have a whole new set of concerns. You need to sort of, you know, be able to track, you know, what's going on with hundreds of people, right? So, so you need to have a good system set up. So that takes a little bit of investment in terms of time or energy. Um, you also need to, you know, realize you might not make profit, you know, for a little while, right? So I don't know if, you know, I think for the first year or two, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of hit or miss. We weren't sure, is this something that's going to work? Is this just a waste of money? Is this a waste of time? And so there is sort of that, I guess, dip that you have 
in revenue a little bit that you have to get over eventually. And is, is that dip part of figuring out how do you cost your services appropriately or is it because you've got your customer acquisition costs front loaded and you're, you're making those acquisition costs back slowly over the course of the, the subscription? It feels like there's a few economic components yeah. to figure out here. Can you tell us how you've unpacked that and, and how you, you look at the analysis of what's the right amount to charge for this subscription service and how do I make sure that when I account for all the time and expense that's gone into servicing that client, I'm actually coming out on top. And yeah. I'm curious based on what you, you you just said, if you're willing to look at it and say, hey, I'm, I'm in a, it's kind of a J-shaped curve. I'm, I'm going to be in a trough uh, for the first two or three months or maybe longer, but I'm eventually going to be profitable on this client if I'm able to, as you point out, retain them in the long term. Yeah. I mean, the only way you can actually really make money with a subscription is, is through retention, right? So, yeah. um, you know, depending on what our acquisition cost is at the time, um, if we get a new client on our subscription service, we're, you know, we don't make any money because we're still paying back essentially what it costs to acquire that person, right? So um, what it really comes down to, I think for us, you know, at a certain point, you get to a critical mass where you can really kind of guide the development based on metrics. So, you know, we've really got really into feedback, like what's going to make someone stay longer? Like, you know, how can we look at an aggregate number, like um, average lifetime customer value and increase that, right? So it's not so much about every individual transaction, like, you know, how much is this customer going to make us? But on average, you know, how is, how is this going to look? And so if our lifetime customer value is significantly higher, then the acquisition cost, okay, we're in business or, you know, whatever, you know, plus like the servicing cost, et cetera. Um, that's what we want to do. So we really want to increase that lifetime value. And so that's kind of how we think about it. But, you know, like you're sort of saying that value doesn't come on day one, that value comes on, you know, four months in, right? So it takes, you know, a few months for that value to sort of come to us. Can you walk our listeners that are maybe interested in, in framing what a subscription model might do for the, their business in terms of, how you looked at the data, what key performance indicators you looked at to, to size up how you should be pricing your uh, subscription services and how you manage the, the expense side, the expense being yeah. your, your, your time and, and service and expenses that are going into servicing those clients? Yeah. So, you know, as far as looking at the numbers, it starts, obviously, you know, we look at you know, what's coming in monthly, right? So one of the biggest numbers, I think, for any subscription um, business is going to be monthly recurring revenue. So how right. much is coming in every month on the subscription service? Um, and then we sort of look at, well, how many, you know, and this can be a simple calculation. And I think for the first few months, it was actually pretty simple. We'd look at how many hours then are we, serve, you know, are we, are we putting towards each client? And then what we actually do is sort of figure out like where our hourly rate is you know, how that compared to our hourly rate number in the early days, I would just pull the numbers and run the spreadsheets, you know, and sort of look at, okay, so, you know, if we have 20 people, you know, again, this is very early on, then, uh, you know, and I'm spending this many hours working with that group of 20, what is it on average, right? And so we're trying to keep that average, you know, right, you know, maybe close to what we, you know, what we do hourly, but you know, what that allows us to do is if somebody needs more help, we can give them more help. And if, you know, if somebody doesn't need us for a while, like, you know, we sort of will help them later. So, you know, it's sort of, you're kind of pooling um, everyone together. But I think the key indicator is recurring revenue and then lifetime mm -hmm. customer value, customer acquisition yeah. cost, things like that. So as, as a SaaS company founder, these are uh, 
all acronyms and, and KPIs oh, yeah. that, that, yeah. that I talk about on a daily basis with, with my team. Uh, tell me about where, where you go to for, for resources and, and learning about subscription businesses. Do you look at software as a service as a, as a reference point for how you think about the, the economics of your business? Yeah, I think software as a service is a great example. Um, always a good place to start, look at what works. And, you know, there's a lot of experts out there. You know, there's um, books by one of the authors I really, whose work I really, really like, uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter. She's written a few different books on, on how the subscription model works. Um, so I think I started there. And I think when we were starting out, like I just basically went on Amazon and got every single book I could find about subscription models, you know? So looked at how, how does Netflix work? How does, you know, how does any of that work? Like, how is it that you can provide a service for what seems like a ridiculously low price? You know, what is it, what makes that work? And, you know, it really comes down to, okay, it's value over time. You know, so it's, it's people right. paying you over time rather than at once. So again, you know, it, it was kind of this weird transition when we started, you know, if we had a client come to us and, you know, we could maybe potentially get them to pay us $800 right now for a consultation of some sort. It was kind of tough because we're like, well, really what we should have them do is join the subscription because that's what we're trying to build. So at, immediately we're foregoing, let's say $700. So that was, you know, that's what I'm sort of saying. You have this you have to have this mindset shift and be willing to take a loss on the very short term, hoping that you can do the right thing to make it up long term. Right. And economists in the, in the limit really do prefer software as a service or any kind of subscription business over the, the prepackaged model. And I've, we've seen this shift with, with software companies, for yeah. example, uh, software has moved from, the big upfront purchase where you went and spent five or $600 buying the shrink wrap version of Microsoft office right. to, to paying for office 365 and paying 20 or $30 a month for that, for that same software and the long-term profitability. And as you pointed out, if you have the right retention characteristics for a subscription service can be vastly superior to the, the, the fixed upfront price. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on how pervasive you think this model will become in legal. Uh, is this the, the right business model for most practices? And, and how do you think about whether uh, uh, an individual practice area or an individual practice is suitable for a subscription model? Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of gone back and forth. You know, some days I feel like really optimistic, like this could work for everybody. But then on other days, I'm, you know, I sort of feel like, well, maybe you have to really look closely at what it is that you're doing in your practice. So, you know, I kind of, and maybe it's a bad joke, but I sometimes joke about like a criminal, you know, criminal, criminal uh, law practitioner <laughs> right. doing a subscription service, right? right. It's like, hey, you know, I notice you get into a lot of trouble. So, you know, join this subscription service and you yeah. give me a call anytime you- Or divorce sketchy. lawyer. Yeah, yeah divorce lawyer. Gonna... <laughs> I mean, but, but, you know, but even with that, with that, you know, I mean, you've seen people, you know, you can actually build like Aaron Levine has a hello divorce where right. you know, maybe it's for a specific period of time. If there's a year you're going through a divorce, that's exactly what you need. And, and, you know, maybe, I don't know if she's built her model in a way that accounts for, okay, this person will maybe take a year and they'll need us for a year and that's fine, you know? Um, so I think for, you know, not every practice area is gonna lend to it, but it's really, you know, what ongoing value can you provide, you know? So, and, and that might not just be services. It could also be education, right? It could be, you know, again, if you're a criminal lawyer, maybe there is something you can provide. It might not be, services, but it might be, you know, how do you, you know, kind of 
rehabilitate after coming out of prison or something, right? So Absolutely, something yeah. We've, we've talked yeah. a lot about that on this on this podcast. What's the restorative yeah. justice side of things look like? And lawyers have a, a huge role to play in terms of helping uh, some of these individuals re-enter society and reintegrate successfully. Right. And um, again, I, I think your point around hello divorce and Aaron Levine's work is uh, is a great example of. Uh, ways you can be innovative on pricing without necessarily going to the degree of a, a subscription service. There's models that are superior to the hourly model uh, w- without necessarily taking the huge leap to a to a subscription service. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious, John, if you can talk for a moment about the impacts of COVID nineteen on your firm, especially. It, it sounds like you have clients that are both more on the traditional hourly model versus the subscription model. How have you seen those two segments of your business be, be impacted by COVID-19? Yeah. So interestingly enough, and, you know, before we got on, actually, we were sort of discussing, you know, sort of what's happened in business. And I've been really surprised at how everything's played out. So um, the subscription, I think, has been pretty steady. You know, actually, it's been steadily growing. I think, like I was saying earlier, a lot of people are starting businesses and need some guidance, need some support. So we're there for them on that. Um, the other thing we do, obviously, for more involved projects are flat rate things. So if somebody needs to register a trademark or set up a corporation, we do flat rate. Um, interestingly enough, that hasn't slowed down. You know, I think there was a dip, maybe like the beginning of April, where nobody was certain what was going to happen. Like, is this the end? You know, what's going to happen, right? Um, but since then, it's remained pretty steady. I mean, I, my partner and I, I remember we, we made projections like in the middle, in the beginning of April, you know, looking at like, okay, so we're going to make like no money in May. And it didn't turn out that way. So I was really surprised. And I, was kinda, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. A lot of people are now seeing this as a chance, either by necessity or opportunity, to start a business, or, or I think maybe new opportunities are presenting themselves where right. people, people are realizing, oh, okay, you know, I can maybe, I don't need to start a restaurant, but I can do a good takeout business that might actually thrive because I'll have low overhead and I can sort of start very small and build my way out. So you see people who are really being innovative. I'm actually really surprised and encouraged by that. Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, as you commented earlier, uh, a silver lining, you know, to obviously a, a devastating backdrop for what COVID-19 has done in, in many areas of our lives. But it feels like there's a lot of innovation, a lot of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial thinking happening uh, everywhere, including in the, the delivery of, uh, of, of, of legal services. Yeah. When, when, you, when you talk about um, building empathy for your clients and being able to get deeper with your clients thanks to this subscription relationship versus uh, a more transactional relationship. Can, can you talk about, about how you've uh, trained both yourself and, and maybe your team in terms of how to approach those conversations in a different way? Because I do think the, the default, as, as you mentioned earlier, the default for many lawyers in terms of how they look at transactions is as transactions uh, and not really a deeply empathetic process where you're trying to understand how can I help my client in a more systematic way? How can I understand their broader context and help them both as a lawyer, but maybe even use the benefit of your experience to bring in other service providers or help point them in in the right direction in other areas of their business. Uh, You've 
alluded to a few elements of that over the course of our conversation. I'm wondering if you can go a bit more deeply on that particular aspect and just talk about um, the, the experience of shifting your own mindset and that of your team to a more engaged and empathetic model. Yeah, great question. I mean, that's actually something that, especially now with COVID, that's, you know, maybe that was something that we've always valued, but now it's like shot to the top, like way past any other priority. And, you know, I think as, you know, as lawyers grow, you know, you sort of start as, as like the beginning lawyer, you know, everything is, you know, really intellectual. It's really like, what does the law say? You know, what, do, you know, what do I need to do? Like, how do I explain the law to a client? And then as you grow, you ultimately begin to learn that people are coming to you because they have a need, like, and it might be an emotional need of like, I just want to feel like my business is secure. I want to feel like I'm right. doing the right thing. I want to um, make sure I get along with my clients. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm being fair with others while still sort of, you know, asserting myself. Right. So there's all these different emotional needs that people are coming for. And I think, you know, what this has allowed me to do is sort of, sort of come, you know, come to those like there are people no one's going to say to you hey like I'm feeling really insecure about my business can you help me right but that's always the sort of subtext and if you can address that people right. love it and I love doing it you know like the my favorite conversations are the ones where someone calls me and they're like I have I've not been, been able to sleep I have a knot in my stomach someone told me that I'm infringing or whatever it is um, I'm nervous I'm anxious and then half an hour later they're like oh man, I feel like a weight has been lifted, you know? And it's like, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, but the fact that I can produce that effect is awesome, you know? And so we really try to figure out how can we do that? And, and the more we know people, the more we can sort of be, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, real with them. You know, we can really sort of just be real people talking to other people. We don't really feel like we have to have this facade of like, okay, we're professionals and we, you know, we're going to tell you exactly what to do and what the law is, but like really get in there and be like, oh yeah, that's, that sounds terrible. And I've, you know, or just to tell someone, hey, I've seen this happen before. You know, you're not the first person this has happened to, you know, other people have yeah. had their IP stolen and here's what they do. You know, here's what happens, you know, here's how this plays out. Um, to give that reassurance is really cool. Yeah. I, I think an example I talk about a lot in, in terms of the, the need for empathy, but also the opportunity for something like a subscription service to actually better address the underlying pain point a client has is with wills and estates where right. if, if you look at somebody coming to you for a will, they might say, they might be transactional to start saying, I, I need a will. Mm -hmm. But you, if you kind of dig at their underlying pain point, what they're trying to address, really they're saying, I want peace of mind. And I want to know yeah. that my family's taken care of if I pass away unexpectedly and if you're really calibrating to that pain point and trying to solve for that longer term, maybe it's not a $500 upfront fee to produce a will. Maybe it's a $50 a year subscription service yeah. for a will that's updated annually. And you get a short questionnaire just saying, Hey, have you gotten married? Has anything changed yeah. in your life? Um, and again, you need to take that forward looking view and say, Hey, over the lifetime uh, value for that client, I might be able to realize, uh, $2,500 or, or, mm -hmm. or more rather than $500, but I'm going to be, as you pointed out, giving up that, that short-term revenue opportunity. But it does feel like a gigantic opportunity for lawyers to completely flip the script in terms of how they work with their clients, how they're building empathy with their clients. And you know, as you mentioned, it doesn't work maybe for every practice area, but right. it feels like many lawyers should be thinking about whether this could be even partially adapted to their practice area. 
Um, tell us a little bit about how this impacts um, your your mental state, your happiness, your your level of engagement, and and to the extent you can speak for your your team, how does this impact them at a uh, mental well-being level? Have you heard anything in terms of how this model has benefited them as opposed to uh, the, the client side, which we focus most of our discussion on? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I feel, you know, it's, it's nice to have that rapport. I mean, that's always something that's valuable. Um, I think people on, you know, we, when we see someone sign up for a call, like, we know who this person is. Like, we've, you know, we've all, you know, at least one of us has talked with them. So, you know, if somebody you know, signs up for a call with me and, you know, I see their name, I can talk with my partner, I can talk with anyone else who works on my team and be like, hey, you know, what is this person like? What do, you know, what do they need? And, you know, really, really kind of get to know people. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's sort of, I don't know, it just gives us a chance to solve problems easily. You know, it, it really like, the, it's, there's not so much pressure, right? So it's like, if somebody pays us like 10 grand you know, to solve a problem, then, then there's, I think there's a lot of pressure. But I think, you know, when, when someone pays $95, you know, we can really get there and, and not feel like, you know, there's a whole, I don't know, I don't know how to put this, but like, you know, the whole pressure, right? So we, you know, we can, you know, right. and, and we kind of get the feedback quickly, you know, that's the other thing. Right. We, we're really big on like getting feedback, like we send out surveys and net promoter score things to, to find out like, okay, did they have a good interaction? And we can kind of know that way and so I, yeah know, i think well, maybe, maybe it's just that that flavor of the the transactional element of uh the the traditional model makes you feel like you've got to give this highly polished final work product and got to yeah. hand off and that it you're not building this continuous conversation and and iterative approach to how you're iterative, designing yeah. solutions yeah. um would love to, for a moment, uh, talk about technology. On your website, you talked about the fact that you take a, an informed tech-savvy approach to working with your clients. Uh, I think technology is, is obviously a, something I'm really passionate about and, yeah. and can have a huge impact on law firms and the way they operate and specifically how they are interacting with their clients. And that's, that's obviously more relevant now uh, with COVID-19 than, than ever. Can you talk a little bit about how you use technology to better serve your clients and maybe also in ways that helps make your firm internally more productive. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of my, you know, it's one of the, my favorite things to do is honestly. Um, so here's what I sort of, my philosophy with technology is the really only thing that a computer can do or technology can do is automate things. Right. So if you really kind of break it down, like what is, what does a computer do? It automates rote tasks. And so what we try to do is look for those rote tasks that, you know, are pretty much like low value tasks mm -hmm. and automate as much as we can. Right. And so, you know, again, even things like this doesn't need to be a big deal. It doesn't need to be like some AI system that, you know, automates drafting a contract. It can be as simple as, you know, rather than doing the back and forth of scheduling a time, you just have a calendar, right? So that's mm -hmm. an automation. It's the calendar where someone can choose. It sends the confirmation. No human needs to be involved in that necessarily, right? right? And so we take things, you know, and, and I get that some people might feel like, well, you know, that's not that's a human touch, but I'm like, I'd rather save the human touch for the high level things. So the phone right. call that we have, the, the notes that I write about your contract, I want to spend my time doing that and not negotiating phone call times. And nobody else on the team wants to do that either, right? And so we can kind of you know, push you know, human beings to do things that are more fulfilling and that have more value to clients, right? So solving problems, right? And so 
what we really try to do is automate things. So any kind of notification that people get from our office, it's all automated, you know? So, you know, we don't, you know, we give status updates all the time to people just through our automated system. Um, you know, if there's a support issue, a lot of that is automated. I mean, even things like our content, you know, if we have a question that's asked all the time, like what's the trademark process like? We have temp email templates that we'll send to people and be like, hey, here's an article we wrote, check this out. If that doesn't answer the questions, here's our calendar, let's talk about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Love it. I think that's a great way of framing it too. just take uh, what consumers are looking for, which is, I think you're hundred percent right. Effortless experiences. They're yeah. looking for ways of eliminating friction. They'd rather fill out uh, a form on your website than they would answer uh, a phone-based interview, for example, just recognizing that consumer yeah. expectations have shifted and there's opportunities to automate and streamline that go along with those new new consumer sentiments. Yeah, uh, John, to, to to wrap up, I th I think you you have a really interesting and unique perspective on the opportunity to innovate in legal. Uh, your, your background, you know, legal being your second career, gives you maybe a a, a different perspective on where innovation can and should be happening in in legal. Can you speak beyond? Uh, some of the innovative work you're doing on subscription services, where you think those opportunities really lie in legal and where you'd like to see more progress over the next handful of years? For sure. I mean, my opinion is that a lot of the value that can be created now is customer experience. So I think if lawyers can focus on customer experience, and that encompasses a lot of things, everything from pricing to how you answer the phone to how quickly you get back to people, um, but really like making uh, hiring a lawyer be a good experience because, you know, it, it even affects me. I mean, I have selfish reasons because people will think, you know, hey, hiring a lawyer has to be this really painful experience. And that's the sort of, um, you know, impression we've given people. Right. So I think innovation can be just making the customer experience better. And that doesn't require necessarily even any code. You know, it can be just making your system a little bit different, you know, asking different questions, you know, making sure that people feel heard and understood you know, that you're sort of getting to those emotional needs that people have. Right? Yeah. So it's going to be the customer experience, but then, um, you know, and that also goes into things. So then you can go into automation, right? And so, you know, and I think one of the things that I, you know, try to tell people is innovation doesn't need to be a big thing, right? So I think a lot of people, you know, maybe get intimidated, lawyers get intimidated, you know, they'll hear people doing things with blockchain or AI or chatbots, things that they just can't get their head around. And I think a lot of people can't. Um, you know, and I tell them, you don't have to do that. Like that's a, that's a certain level and that has a certain value, but I mean, even just streamlining your customer intake, you know, getting on form stack or any other, you know, form intake program and uh, making a, making a form is going to be improving your customer experience and it can be incremental. It doesn't need to be, you know, I have a new business model and I'm putting all this effort into it. It can just be, I'll, I'll make a little change, see what people don't like and make that better. See what people do like and do more of it, you know? So yeah, it's incremental. Yeah. I think that's a, a super important point. If you make small incremental gains on a, a daily basis, those accumulate over time and they can have massive impacts on your firm. So I think that's a, yeah. A great parting thought as well is is taking this view that you don't need to boil the ocean and do this gigantic right. redesign of your law firm and how it works top to bottom. Listen to what appeals to you and what you think would resonate with your clients and start making those stepwise improvements. And it, it, it can be very incremental and a very easy thing to to kind of ease into over time. 
Yeah. And it's, and what's great is it can be surprisingly simple. You know, you can, you know, look at the software you're already using, whether it's Clio or something else. And, you know, are there features you maybe haven't used yet? Is there something that you can sort of bring into your practice? You know, a, a kind of system you haven't tried, like marketing automation, and maybe just, you know, try it with one tiny thing, you know? Yeah. You're, try you're it with one client. Thing. Yeah. One client, um, what maybe one type of interaction, you know, Hey, I'm going to set up an email that goes out when someone hires me, you know, that can be, that's innovation. You know, it's, it's small, but it's a step in the right direction. Well, John, it's a great note to, to end on. Uh, loved our conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. 